If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Psalm 133. You might need to do that because, uh, as I said at the beginning of the service, most of the bulletins have the wrong information uh, because I was sick this week. Um, so instead of preparing a whole new sermon, we're re- revisiting Psalm 133, which we looked at a couple of years ago in our uh, series through the Psalms. <clears throat> uh, it's really worth revisiting, I think, uh, right now, especially uh, after the last year and a half and the strain that the whole COVID, uh, COVID ordeal has uh, put on our relationships. Um, you know, maybe uh, you used to be excited to come to church. Maybe you used to be uh, happy to come and you used to look forward to, you know, hearing the gospel and celebrating it. And now, um, you know, it's been a hard couple of years. Maybe you're less enthusiastic uh, because, you know, church just turns out to be yet another public space, another relational space where you have to deal with COVID responses, right? Um, where you're confronted with the reality uh, that there are people who have different opinions than you on things that you find very important. Um, where maybe uh, you find interpersonal conflict or even people who have sinned against you in some uh, specific way. You know, These things make coming to church difficult because church is people and people are sinners and sinners fight and maintaining unity uh, when you're so prone to fighting is pretty hard. Uh, relationships are hard, so it's good for us to talk about uh, what makes for our unity in the church uh, the unique thing that it is. So, so let's pray, then I'll read Psalm 133. <clears throat> Father, please work in us through your Spirit as we consider your Word together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A Song of Ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is one of uh, 15 psalms uh, in the section. It's it's like Psalm 120 to 134 uh, that are titled A Song of Ascents, uh, a song of times when you go up, right, ascending. Uh, These particular psalms were probably sung by pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. They come from all over the land to go to Jerusalem for the various annual feasts. You know, so a few times a year they would come up to the presence of the Lord. Everybody would come together up to the festival presence of the Lord. Uh, So this is a psalm written by David. So it's written by the king. So the king of God's people basically celebrating uh, everybody coming together for church. The king of God's people celebrating everybody coming together for church. So there's this quote that uh, you've heard me say before. And if you check the website, the worship page, it's on there. Um. Uh, It's an important quote, I think, from Karl Barth. Uh, It says, The church service is the most important, momentous, majestic thing which can possibly take place on earth. That's not an exaggeration. It's not not hyperbole. Just let it sink in. Think about it for a moment. The little thing that we're doing right now together is the greatest thing that can possibly take place in the whole world. Uh, that might not make any sense to you. In fact, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, actually, probably, to you, to some degree, it, it rings false, right? Um, 
It might sound dishonest to say something like that. It feels like a complete contrast with your own experience of church. Uh, but let's hear out the king's perspective on the church, the gathering, the coming together of God's people. Let's hear out his perspective. Even though our coming together might be terribly difficult for you, it really is the greatest thing that could possibly take place in the world. How can we begin to see it that way? What is the king's perspective that we can begin to adopt? Because in one sense, you know, we can imagine this psalm sung in the past, right, by those who are making their seasonal pilgrimages, and uh, they get to see people that they don't usually get to see, and but it's not so frequent that it's a, you know, difficult thing. Uh, but they, they come together and they, they say, how good it is, how good is it to uh, be here together? So, and in another sense, we can imagine this psalm sung in the future by all those who are ascending, not just a hill, uh, in Jerusalem, but ascending into the heaven of heavens and seeing the Lord face to face and living with him forevermore. How good it is to be here together. We can imagine these things, but there's a real sense in which we can sing this psalm right now. We can all sing this psalm right now in our weekly celebration together in, our, in the presence of the Lord because the Lord Jesus Christ has brought us here by his grace. In the loving welcome of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, how good it is to be here right now, this moment, on a regular basis together. Behold, how good and pleasant. That language is um, how sweet, how delightful it is when brothers dwell in unity. So coming together in the church uh, might not feel so good and pleasant to you, sweet and delightful. It could be that the strain in your relationships with your brothers and sisters is overwhelming to the point where uh, it's all you can think about, the strain, when you think about coming together to come to church. Think about the difficulties that exist between you and particular people in the church, right? You might have serious disappointments. You might have deep wounds. You might have, you know, from past experiences in church, you might have deep wounds and baggage that you can't seem to let go of that colors everything uh, about how you engage in church. Uh, You might be tempted toward bitter complaint about the things that you see here in our congregation, right? The lack of a compelling vision, maybe, or half-hearted holiness on behalf of all the people and even the pastor, you know? Uh, Sputtering mission, Uh, those people who uh, want you to wear a mask or those people who aren't wearing masks. Nevertheless, it is still worth exclaiming, behold, how good it is just to be here together. How pleasant to do life together. How pleasant to dwell in unity here. This is the greatest thing that could possibly take place in the world. It's normal to feel some dissonance with that. In fact, it's common to us as sinners to feel some aversion to the idea of coming together with other people like we're doing now. That's that's like ingrained in us as sinners. So um, Jean-Paul Sartre uh, has a famous play, uh, No Exit. He wrote the famous line in that play, which is, uh, hell is other people. Hell is other people. And that really distills out what is a natural human sentiment, a sinful human sentiment. Something, uh, it's a sentiment that's inside all, all of us really distills it out. Hell is other people. And if we're, if we're going to see anything differently than that, uh, especially to see our coming together as the greatest thing imaginable, then it's going to take a supernatural work of the Spirit, because that's, that's a natural position, a natural perspective to have. <clears throat> so in, in that play, No Exit, Sartre, uh, he imagines hell really simply. It's a very simple uh, play, if you've ever seen it. Uh, it's, it's three people locked in a room together. And uh, the very plausible result is misery. (laughs) Three people locked together in a room. Uh, It's perpetual, inescapable misery. 
the scenario depends on a vision of people who are uh, ultimately self-centered. If people are really self-centered ultimately, then being in the room with other self-centered people, that's, yeah, that's hell, right? Uh, Self-centered people can't stand to be together with other self-centered people and to imagine a scenario like that continuing forever may indeed be to imagine something like hell itself. It's a realistic vision because this is what people are like naturally as sinners. Get us together in the room and it's not pleasant. That's a reality. Even people who are in the closest relationships, we, we know this obviously, we tend to make life miserable for each other. You know the old adage, we hurt those who are closest to us. So when friends get together to play their fun games, it's only a matter of time before the play ends with someone in tears. We've all seen that happen hundreds of times with our children. Right? Um, even brothers, even brothers of all the people in the world, brothers, seem to be always fighting and leaving each other with scars, right? Um, and when you get a bunch of sinners together in the same room, you've got this recipe for disaster. So it's the, it's the easiest thing just to allow our suspicions of each other to grow. It's the easiest thing to allow our resentments to grow. It's the easiest thing to find reasons to judge each other and to condemn each other. Uh, even to inflate minor differences to the point of just explosion, right? Uh, like right now, plenty of people in plenty of churches, including ours, are upset with each other about people's responses to COVID, uh, about differing opinions on vaccinations or differing opinions on masks. And if somebody has a differing opinion from you, it feels impossible to tolerate them. Impossible to tolerate someone with it because they have a different opinion. Uh, it's, it's like we're all saying, I cannot believe that a good Christian brother or sister could possibly disagree with me on this point and not be sinning the unforgivable sin, right? That's what it feels like. That, that kind of attitude is my problem. It's not my brother or sister's problem. That, that kind of attitude is my problem in my self-centeredness. I fixate on how what's different about others, like their opinions, doesn't make me happy. On how... Um, what I think is wrong with other people doesn't fulfill my deepest desires, doesn't satisfy me. Uh, how their sin really hurts me in ways that I just cannot overlook, I just cannot forgive. I'm the one fixating on that. And that kind of experience with other people, it usually has a cumulative effect because we just remember all the bad stuff. We pile up all the grievances and it just adds to our bitterness. Uh, we dwell on it, we keep track of it until the idea of coming together is soured by it. But life together in the church is different. It really is. Life together in the church is different, and it's not because there's no self-centered sinners here, because there are. Life together in the church is different not because we never hurt anyone, because we do. It's different not because we always do everything right and make everybody happy, because that's not true. <clears throat> we, we can still expect conflict in the church. We can expect that. You should expect that. But life together in the church is not hell. It's actually something to celebrate because here, sinners come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a true spiritual unity in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's something different that the world doesn't have. Um, when, when brothers dwell in unity, 
our passage says, it is like the precious or the good oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. So the scriptures acknowledge everywhere that the people who um, come together in the presence of the Lord, we're, we're an awful broken lot of miserable, self-loving sinners. It's the classic quote on total depravity when Obi-Wan Kenobi says to Luke Skywalker when they're standing out aside of uh, Moss Eisley Spaceport, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Right? The classic total depravity quote, it should be in the Bible. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> no. So when we say, behold, how good it is to be here together, this is the greatest thing which can possibly take place on earth, we're taking into full account the scum and villainy. We're factoring that in, including the scum and villainy, taking it into account. This is the best thing that could possibly happen in the world because this is a place for bad people like you and me to come together to find our life in the presence of God, to have our relationship with God restored and to enjoy that together. Bad people, scum and villain. Right? People like us have always needed, and we will always need, a mediator, a holy mediator, a priest, to reconcile us to the, to the God of true love. And in ancient Israel, that role was performed or pictured by Aaron, who is the sort of the main character of our um, psalm. Uh, Aaron is the high priest, and then it was by his descendants after him. So when he was first ordained, when he was first being consecrated and set apart as the high priest of God's people in the book of Exodus, God gave these specific instructions about his garments in particular and, um, and about the anointing oil that was to be used at his ordination. So the garments were to be considered holy and for glory and for beauty. That's what the scripture says. And the pieces of these garments, they had symbolic meaning. They had spiritual significance, right? So uh, most importantly for us this morning is that on his shoulders would be uh, two onyx stones. They're black stones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, this diverse people, right? 12 tribes, all brought together, engraved on each stone, six on each stone, right? And so one stone on each shoulder. And that represents uh, the unity of these tribes. The unity of the tribes as the high priest carries them into the Lord's presence in the holy place on his own shoulders. He's bearing them as a burden on his own shoulders, this high priest. And the anointing oil was to be made of the finest spices, rich, fragrant, sweet-smelling, wonderful, unique blend of spices right, and oils. So this precious oil was holy which meant uh, that it could only be used for this one purpose, for the consecration of the priest as he performed his holy work of ordination, of, of uh, reconciliation, uh, the one who was ordained to make peace between God and his people. So this psalm gives this beautiful picture of what's going on here of the good oil that's poured out on the head of high priest. The good oil poured out on the head of Aaron, flowing generously down, it's poured out liberally and generously on his head, flowing down onto his collar and onto his body, where the people of God are represented here in their unity. In their unity. And that picture is fulfilled in our great high priest, Jesus. Jesus is the one who he went to the cross and died because he bore our sins as if on his own shoulders, bearing us as if on his own shoulders to the cross, where he died for the forgiveness of our sins to restore our relationship with God and with each other, to break down the dividing wall 
that has existed between people uh, through his sacrifice. That's language we find in Ephesians 2. He did this to bring his people to dwell in true unity together. He's the Christ. He's called the Christ. That's the anointed one. He's the head of his body, the church. Again, that picture of Aaron, Aaron's head and the body and the oil flowing down. The anointing oil that was poured on Christ as our head has flowed down onto us as his body. The Holy Spirit is that precious oil. The Holy Spirit is the good oil, the oil of gladness, the anointing from above. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. He's the eternal lifeblood of the Trinity, if you will. Uh, He's the one who unites the Father and the Son in true love. He's the uniter of persons. And that's not just what he does. That's who he is. That's who God is. God the Holy Spirit, the full God, the true God, is the uniter of persons. And God the Father has poured out his Holy Spirit on Christ so lavishly that this same Holy Spirit trickles down, runs down. The very love of God himself has been poured out upon us and into our hearts. So now we share the same spirit of unity, the eternal lifeblood of of the God whose very being is persons in fellowship, united persons. And we share that spirit of unity not because we're particularly peaceful people who get along really well, but because the anointed one has anointed us with his own anointing. Because Jesus, the Christ, has poured out the Holy Spirit upon us, his Christians, his little anointed ones, uh, a gift of his grace. So our unity has descended on us from above. That's the picture that we find in this psalm. Uh, We see that language three times in the short psalm. In verse 2, our unity descended. It's running down upon... um, uh, our high priest as our head and onto his shoulders, his body, right? Uh, and so our unity descended upon us as his body. In verse 3, it's the unity that descends, it falls on us in uh, true life-giving ways. Um, uh, Derek Kidner says uh, that true unity, like all good gifts, is from above. It's bestowed rather than contrived. A blessing far more than an achievement This is a gift from God, right? So verse 3, it's like the dew of Hermon, which is a mountain in the northern borderlands of uh, the land of Israel. Uh, It's like the dew from that mountain, which falls, descends on the mountains of Zion, which is a southern part of the kingdom uh, in Judah. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So that's a picture of all the peoples of the land, right, Uh, from north to south. Uh, being united by the same heavenly, life-giving, refreshing Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew, not the neon fizzy drink that makes you hyper. I saw Ransom look up when I said uh, Mountain Dew. Uh, but in a, in a desert, right, on a parched desert hill with no rivers and no streams like Zion in Jerusalem, orchards and gardens only grow because of the dew uh, that wondrously just appears on the ground as if out of nowhere, out of heaven. Dew is a real source of life in dead places. The Holy Spirit is the dew from heaven. He's he's the blessing who falls upon us and brings us new life together uh, and forevermore. So with the triune God, uh, true life is life together. That's what it is. Life together in the communion of the Holy Spirit. With the triune God, eternity is the Holy Spirit uniting other people with God. So, Heaven is other people, not hell. Heaven is other people united by the Holy Spirit. And we have this life together now. 
already. This life together is won by us, uh, won by our great high priest for us. This life together is poured out upon us from heaven. This spiritual life together is in our midst, even in our wretched hive of scum and villainy, even in our church full of self-loving sinners who have differing opinions about all kinds of things. You might be prone to think that you can only really enjoy this life together once it's fully materialized in the new heavens and the new earth when no one sins against each other anymore and there's no painful conflict anymore and every tear is wiped away. But we share this life together now. It's a reality that is proclaimed in the gospel and we're called to live in light of it now. To live it out with each other. So Paul writes a lot about this life of the Spirit in his letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Tim read a little bit of it in Ephesians 4 where he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, to maintain it. So the church is not called to strive to attain a unity that we don't have. We're called to maintain something that's been given to us. And that's really important. That's really important for us to recognize we're living in response to a reality that's been created by Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. We, we're not trying to create something that doesn't exist yet. He's done the work, and it's finished. Of course, that's a matter for your faith, because we don't see this kind of unity that we're talking about when we look around at each other. We're called to maintain a unity that we already have in the Spirit, to walk in a manner that corresponds to the reality of the gospel, basically to live as if we actually believed what the king says in this psalm. The king says, behold, how good it is to be here together. You need to believe that the king celebrates our peace. You need to believe that he's the one who has established our peace and our unity by his sacrifice. You need to believe that he's the one who sings for joy when we dwell together in unity in his name. And do you know how this divine life together is manifested in the church? What it looks like when it comes to the surface? What it looks like to maintain the unity of the Spirit that we've been given? You just keep reading in Ephesians on the life of the Spirit. Later in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we live out the fellowship of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, largely in our forgiveness. That's what we do. So do you know what that means? It means we're going to enjoy plenty of opportunities to let go of our bitterness, to let go of our anger, and to forgive one another the real pain that we've caused each other. That's, um, that's God's blessing. In this world, we will never run out of opportunities like that. That's the blessing of life together in Christ. It isn't just that we have to put up with people with different opinions. Of course, we'll have to do that at the very least. It should be relatively easy compared to things like this. It really means we'll continue as sinners among sinners in a wretched hive of scum and villainy, like all the churches uh, to which the apostles wrote their letters. And that can easily, uh, naturally be interpreted as a miserable fate. A miserable fate indeed. But in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, even our sinfulness can be redeemed and transformed. 
So uh, I've quoted him before. Bonhoeffer, uh, in his book Life Together, this is one of my favorite uh, quotes from him. <clears throat> he says, Even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother still a brother with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to what? When my brother sins, what is the constant occasion for me to do? To complain? To grow bitter? No. Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ? Thus the very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparably salutary because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. So that's the only way we can call each other brothers and sisters in church. Uh, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as a gift from above that is true even here, even now, even when we're not acting like good brothers and sisters to, to each other. Behold how good it is that there is a place for people like us, a place for people like you and me. That's the king's own perspective. It is. It really is. Jesus is the one singing this song, ultimately, really, celebrating our unity. So let's have his perspective on the church. How good it is to be here together. Yes, factoring in all our disagreements and our conflicts and our sins, but even more factoring in, considering what Jesus has done to bring us together. Our unity in the church is the greatest thing in the world because Jesus laid down his life to create it and to give it to us as a gift. Believe that and let's celebrate our relationships in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it can be hard to trust you, really hard to trust you when you say that coming together in the church is a good thing. Until we look to your son, Jesus, and his sacrifice to establish our unity and his gift of the unity of your Holy Spirit. So we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Knit our hearts together in your love. Help us to extend the grace of our Lord Jesus to each other. Because then we'll truly be celebrating his grace, who he is and what he's done for us. We pray in his name. Amen.